You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is Musketeer Space, Chapter 42, Space Jump. The jump system was only legal for military operations within Crown Space, on the basis that they were the only ones with robust enough comm frequencies to be trusted with the technology. No one wanted to be part of an interstellar pile-up after civilian spaceships had literally materialised inside each other. The Frenzy Kenzie and other Archibus-class venturers, like the Church Fleet's own St. Constantina, chugging alongside them, were too large and antiquated to be fitted for jump engines. Their steady pace of star travel was roughly equivalent to the recharging time that dart engines required between jumps. As systems went, it worked fine, except for the high boredom factor of pilots in general, and musketeers in particular. Dana was on constant rotation, flying the support transport, while her friends were stuck in their own darts with literally nothing to do between jumps, but used Fleetnet to message her and each other about the most trivial things. It would take six jumps and eight days for the second wave of the combined royal fleet to reach truth space. By the third time Dana had caught up with the inseparables, she was amazed that they had not yet started challenging the sabres to dogfights out of sheer boredom. Frenzy Kenzie 3. Porthos, I don't want to hear about your stomach. Hoyden, jump always makes me feel so sick. Frenzy Kenzie 3. Considering you and Athos just woke up from a 12-hour sleep rotation, while I was the only person fielding Aramis's insecurities about her girlfriend for, did I mention 12 hours? I'm going to go with no. No pity. None left. Morningstar. No one is insecure. Who said I was insecure? Have you been talking to Tracy about me? Frenzy Kenzie 3. Porthos. Is this a group chat? Warn a person first. Hoyden. It's not my fault you started talking about our friends behind their backs. Frenzy Kenzie 3. Nothing I haven't said to their faces. Pistachio Grumpy Face. I already requested to be taken off any and all discussions about anything short of war-related emergencies. Pistachio Grumpy Face. Right, who changed my username? When a message from unknown user clicked through her comm, containing only a set of spatial coordinates, Dana assumed it was Aramis or Porthos pissing about, stripping their ID from the message for a joke. But it wasn't obvious or funny enough, especially when Dana checked the pre-programmed flight path to discover they were already due to cross the coordinates in question and none of the musket-class pilots were cleared to know the exact flight path of the Frenzy Kenzie. Should she divert to avoid those coordinates? A diversion would show up on her daily report, and she wasn't sure if this message constituted a threat or a promise. In the end, she did an extra scan on the area, 
while allowing the arquebus to continue in the route as planned. Five minutes before Dana reached that point in space, the main screen above her dashboard filled with static, picking up a signal from a local transmitter. There were no satellites in their path, so if there was a transmitter, it was tiny and had been left here, like a message in a bottle. After a minute of static, the screen dissolved into footage from an old fleur-de-lis game. Dana knew it was old, because it showed the original Emerald Knights team, Prince Alec, Conrad Sue, and Minister Marie Chevreuse, opposite a team called the Burley Lions. For a moment she allowed herself to become caught up in the game, the fluid movements of the athletes powering through the zero-gravity tank, the glee on their faces as they racked up points between the three of them. And oh, Conrad. His blue hair was longer in this footage, spiking low into his eyes. He and Prince Alec and Chevreuse moved together as a single unit like their brains matched as well as their bright green uniforms. At one point, Conrad fell face first into the cam feed and threw a flirtatious grin directly at the viewer, at Dana, before spinning backwards in a series of somersaults that took his opponent by surprise and allowed Chevreuse to body slam that player halfway across the tank. Why would someone send her this footage? Dana checked her instruments. The frenzy Kenzie would move out of range of the transmission shortly. She flexed her fingers and her thoughts into the ship's engines, powering down to slow drift. She sent a message to base with an excuse. Getting odd readings from power spheres. Can you check the couplings? We can still make the rendezvous on time if we drift for 15 minutes. The part about the time buffer was true. She didn't want to miss any important information from this transmission. But she wasn't willing to risk making the entire second wave of the combined royal fleet late for a battle. Base's response was a series of exclamation marks and an emoji that looked like either a thumbs up or a dick joke. She was going to assume it was a thumb. The game footage ran to static. Dana's first thought was that she had slowed the frenzy Kenzie too late. But then the screen cleared again, and she saw what looked very much like a dark, stone-walled cell. Do you have nothing to say to your wife? A voice said from behind the cam. A familiar voice, Dana realised with a chill down her spine. Those smooth tones belonged to me lord. A dark shape shifted and turned towards the screen. Dana bit her lip as she recognised the tired, pissed-off face of Conrad Sue. It was a live stream, according to the date and time numbers, running along the bottom of the screen. He was alive. Conrad stood slowly, stretching his legs, showing no sign of injury. He walked towards the cam. There was no gorgeous grin now. He stared into the screen, head tilted slightly, 
eyes blazing into it. Whoever you're doing this for, Slate, I know one thing. It's not my wife. Oh, but that's interesting, purred my lord. Which of my many enemies is it that you think you're talking to? Dana clenched her fists because otherwise she would be reaching out for the screen like an idiot as if she could actually drag Conrad through it to safety. I'm friends with the Prince Consort, Conrad said fiercely. It's not difficult to work out why you might think you can use me to hurt the royal family. I was hoping you had more than muscle between those ears of yours, said my lord, sounding bored. Conrad turned the full force of his glare into the screen. Luckily, Alec knows better than to make stupid risks, just because he doesn't want to run tryouts for a new pole attack. Dana rolled her eyes at his bravado and her own foolishness. She forgot sometimes that Conrad had been wrapped up in court intrigue long before she breezed into Paris. He probably didn't even remember her name. You'd be surprised how many enemies I have who think you're worth rescuing, said that hateful voice behind the cam. Say hello to Arms Sergeant D'Artagnan. Conrad's head flicked up and away, his face registering something. Surprise? Irritation? Dana barely got a chance to see before static overwhelmed the screen all over again. This time... The footage did not return. All clear, Sarge, Base said cheerfully through her comm. The ship's security picked up a magnetic transmitter bot in the area, probably some new spyware thing trying to register our location. Zaptic good. It won't be able to trace us. Good, said Dana, more calmly than she felt. That's good work, Base. Spyware. Damn it all, she should have steered clear of this location, avoiding the coordinates. She couldn't risk the fleet for one man, especially when Conrad himself was so determined to sacrifice himself for Prince Alec. If my lord wanted her to see that transmission, nothing good would come of it. Get a grip, D'Artagnan, she muttered to herself. War before boys but she couldn't erase that image of the stone cell from her mind. Conrad Sue was still alive, for now. But he was in my lord's custody, and my lord wanted revenge on Dana. The second last rendezvous before the final jump to truth space was an otherwise empty stretch of space, halfway between peace and truth. As the frenzy Kenzie chugged towards the coordinates, Dana noticed that the usual heat signature grouping of 80 darts was not registering on her dash. That was when she realised three hours had passed, without any trivial fleetnet message pinging her screen from Aramis, Athos or Porthos. Frenzy Kenzie 3. Is there an issue with the rendezvous? St. Constantina 1. Have received no alerts. Frenzy Kenzie 3. The fleet's not where it's supposed to be. How far out are you? St. Constantina 1. 
20 minutes ahead of you. Looks like they jumped early. Update pending. Dana waited and tried not to fret. Chantal joined her on the bridge to wait for news, which she appreciated because the silence of the comm was unnerving. This happened to me on a long-haul mission once before, said the printing and inventory specialist, in a voice that was probably supposed to be motherly and comforting, but mostly set Dana's teeth on edge. Usual protocol is that they leave one pilot behind in stealth mode to deliver new coordinates in person. But our next rendezvous is truth, Dana argued. I mean, it's a planet. It's not like it can have moved. Chantal gave her an almost pitying look. If our orders have changed, maybe we're not heading to truth anymore. When the stealth ship connected to the Frenzy Kenzie, it was with a clang that reverberated across the whole ship. Official protocol, you say? Dana said, swallowing hard. Either that, or we've just been boarded by the enemy, said Chantal. That's not as comforting as you think it is. Oh, it wasn't supposed to be comforting. Base spoke to them both over the comm. It's a silver moth fighter, one of ours. You can tell that from the noise it made, said Dana, impressed. Base covered a laugh with a snort. Oh, honey, no. The main airlock has a plexiglass window. I can see it from here. Hang on, welcoming our visitor on board. The next ten minutes felt like an hour, punctuated only by a short message from base, confirming that their messenger's ID checked out. She represented Cardinal Richelieu and the church fleet. That was even less comforting. Dana managed to unhook herself from helm and harness to greet the church pilot as she entered the cockpit. There were a quarter of a million moth fighters in the solar system, and yet Dana was completely unsurprised when her stealth visitor removed her helmet and a long fall of black hair swung out. Hey you, said Agent Rosnacho. Are you even in the fleet? Dana blurted. She was used to seeing the special agent in candy pastel colours, far too cutesy for her vivid looks and sharp tongue. She looked good in red, with a church fleet jacket of scarlet and gold over a matching flight suit. I am now, said Roe with a smirk. She held up a small clamshell. Eyes only, Captain D'Artagnan, especially for you. Arms sergeant, Dana corrected, but gave Chantal and Bass a nod to clear out. Rose shook her head with a devastating smile. You know the code, Dana. When you're steering the ship, you're the captain, regardless of rank. Dana was tired. Tired of hiding in secrets and not knowing who to trust. Tired of worrying about Conrad and her friends and the whole fucking solar system. Where the hell is the fleet, Ro? she asked, and didn't even care that the nickname slipped out. Ro's smile softened for a second. Dana later thought she must have imagined it. 
and then she was all business. Three hours ago, the teardrop armada made their move. She clicked open the clamshell to show a series of images. The now iconic picture of the grey teardrop ships of the sun-kissed, hanging in orbit around Truth. Then the shocking development of the ships replicating in twos and threes until there was nothing but a cloud of grey wrapping around the entire planet. That's, said Dana, and swallowed hard. You can swear for a while if you like, Rose said helpfully. The captain of the St. Constantina is still thinking up new synonyms for fuck. I left her to it after the first ten minutes. Have they still not fired any shots? Depends what you mean by shots and fired, Rose said. This particular manoeuvre coincided with a power wave that knocked about 40 ships, fleet ships, out of their orbital position and sent all electronics screwy for a three-click radius. They managed to get a subsonic message to the incoming reinforcements, warning that all systems had been compromised. That's why the Cardinal and the Regents moved to the rendezvous, and that's why you're about to make a course correction. Roe passed over a new set of coordinates, and Dana returned to her helm and harness, programming in the new flight path. Her radar picked up the Saint Constantina, already tracking ahead of the Frenzy Kenzie. When Dana finally looked up, Roe was sitting in the co-pilot seat beside her, making herself comfortable. Moth spears need recharging, she said. You don't mind if I hang around for a few hours? Do I have a choice? asked Dana. Roe grinned. Nope. Dana gave herself over to the navigation of the ship, ignoring the intruder. When she darted a look under her eyelashes at Roe, the other woman appeared to be napping. Cardinal Richelieu is in league with the sun-kissed, you know, Dana said in a low conversational tone. Roe's eyes flew open. It was the first time Dana had ever seen her ruffled. Damn it, D'Artagnan! You can't say things like that. It's true. I know you musketeers are basically children who think it's all about taking sides in the playground, Roe said. But that's stupid. Her eminence has always done what she thinks is best for the crown and the whole fucking solar system. That's the remit of the church to protect humanity. The sun-kissed have no part in that. She's compromised, and so are you, said Dana, keeping her hands steady on the controls, despite the anger that flooded her whole body. How many of the Cardinal's plots involved my Lord de Winter? Roe narrowed her eyes. I warned you he was dangerous. You didn't tell me he was sun-kissed. There. She had surprised her. The special agent sat there in silence for a few minutes while Dana steered the smooth metal tube that was the Frenzy Kenzie on course to their new rendezvous.
How exactly did he compromise you, Dana? Rosnacho asked after a long moment. How deeply did you have to dig to find that particular secret? I don't want to talk about it. Ro huffed to herself. Yeah, that's what I thought. Did you know? Dana asked. Ro looked at her from beneath her sweeping fringe. Of course I didn't bloody know. Just because the Cardinal doesn't gamble around covering up evidence of royal adultery, like some people, doesn't mean she would betray the human race. She scowled darkly. And neither would I. You know now, said Dana. It was odd having the upper hand. She did not have the faintest idea how to use it to her advantage. It felt refreshing to speak honestly. What are you going to do about it? Ro shook her head. Give me more than two minutes to assimilate this upsetting piece of intelligence. I'll let you know. Dana felt oddly relieved just as she had when she'd confessed to Athos, Aramis and Porthos about my lord. She was no longer alone with this terrible news, and she would not have to work out what to do with that knowledge without help. What did it mean that she was feeling that way about Agent Rosnay Cho? Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional owners and continuing custodians of Lutruita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR, and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards early ebooks and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.